version of a show that was done on YouTube on a live feed, and uh, I got all of the uh, housekeeping and everything into it, though it was a little bit disrupted with some things that went on. Uh, well, that's what I wanted to let you know about as you're tuning in today. You might hear me reference some problems and things like that. There were some long pauses that should have been taken out. I think I got them all. But what happened is we actually had our internet service go out in the middle of a live feed. I was able to tether to my phone, get back in the room, and continue the podcast. But if you hear me say, like, oh, geez, yet again, or something like that, even though I've taken out the pauses in between... That's what's going on. If you see, if there's a point in it where I feel like my timing might be a little off or I seem to have lost a place, that's what was going on is being locked out of the system for anywhere between, in one case, about three minutes, another time, you know, other times 30, 40 seconds, and just rolling with the punches. Just so you know that that's what went on. Anyway, with that, let's drop into the live feed. And we are live, folks, just a few seconds late from the scheduled start time. I was getting some stuff done for a customer in space there and left you for an extra 30 seconds. I like to start on time, but, oh, well, people always have to stream in once we go live and the notices go out anyway. So what are we going to talk about today? If you looked at the title, um, it's pretty obvious what we're going to talk about today, and uh, it's going to be Bitcoin. It is a Bitcoin breakout episode. Hadn't done one in a while and felt we needed one. So even though I didn't have a guest lined up for a Bitcoin show, decided to go ahead and come off solo with one. And I, I'm, I'm happy to talk today about something I've been planning on doing as a Bitcoin episode for a long time. The prepper's view of Bitcoin. And I, I've held off on this because I kind of feel like, well, that's what I've talked about when it rego- regards Bitcoin going back to about 2013. Obviously, as a prepper, as a modern survivalist, as the person that coined the term modern survivalist. Anytime I speak about Bitcoin, I'm speaking at, about it from the view of a prepper being my view. But I've never really done a show tailoring it to prepping. And I've never done a show really tailoring it to permaculture, which I think is the best design science for preppers to focus on when it comes to designing resilient lifestyles for their lifestyle design. So that's what I'm going to do today. So instead of just it's a perspective of one, I'm going to talk to you guys as preppers, as permaculturists, as people that are concerned with system failures, as people that are concerned with being prepared for the future, as people that are trying to live the show credo, which is live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. And so that's what we're going to dive into today. We're going to talk about uh, a number of key aspects of Bitcoin that makes it perfect for preppers or that preppers should see the advantage of, as well as how it fits with permaculture. And like kind of the the bullet point list that we're going to hit today is going to be decentralization, resilience, self-sovereignty, sustainability, diversification, peer-to-peer transactions, global accessibility. That's a nice way of saying censorship resistant. Peer-to-peer transactions. Um, I already said that global accessibility, inflation protection. We'll talk about how that's misunderstood often. Privacy. We'll talk about how that's often misunderstood as well. Innovation and adaptability. Energy conservation. That's something that preppers should understand. So should permaculturists. 
survival, the survival need for energy in the first place, right, and understanding entropy, and securing other data. And I'm going to be borrowing uh, in this episode somewhat from the philosophy of Jason Lowry, who's a major in the United States military, who's written a book that has just stormed to the top of the bestsellers list for the category on Amazon called Soft War. Soft War. This is in spite of the fact if you go to Amazon and you search for Soft War in all departments, it will come up as software and um, you will have to say, no, I, I meant what I typed. So if you look in books, you'll find it. But if you look in the general search, you won't even find it. So even people knowing how to what they're looking for have trouble finding it. And yet this book has exploded. It's garnered endorsements by just about every major Bitcoin influencer that's out there today. And I think when I talk about it, especially toward the end of today's episode, it'll make a lot of sense why. And um, if you want to get a copy of the book, I'd appreciate you going through my links. Uh, there's not a link for software in the video notes below if you're watching the live video. But the audio uh, version of the show will go up about 30 minutes after this ends if you're watching it live. And uh, over there, you'll have a link. And I'll try to remember to backfeed it into the video notes. I was This is one of those things I kind of added it at the end. I'm like, if I'm going to talk about this, I should I should pimp the guy's book for him. So. If you haven't read software yet, you probably want to. I'm also going to look up and add to the notes. There was recently an episode um, of a podcast. I don't remember whose podcast it was uh, with Jason. That was absolutely exceptional, absolutely exceptional. And I'll find that, put a link for that as well, where you can listen to him talk. So we're not going to be talking about just his theory today, but it is going to play a role in it. So I wanted to give him a shout out. When I use people's material, I always try to give them a shout out. I don't nail that 100% of the time. I've been doing this a long time, and um, you pick up so much information over the years that sometimes you don't credit sources when you should. But I, it's important to me, and I really try to do that. All right, before we do that, let's go ahead and hear from our sponsors of the day. Sponsor today, number one, is JM Bullion. What? This is a Bitcoin show. What are you doing talking about silver and gold on a Bitcoin episode? I am not one of these exclusionary people. When I talk about Bitcoin, especially in the prepper audience that I have a lot of time, I get, I believe in real estate. It turns out that person usually doesn't own any real estate. Maybe they own the home they live in. Usually the person saying that, doesn't, it's an excuse, right? Or they say, I believe in silver or gold or whatever. So do I. I have real estate. I have silver and gold. I have standard, you know, um, like mutual funds and stocks and equities and things like that as part of my investment portfolio. Portfolio and I have Bitcoin. I'm not one of the Bitcoin maximalists. Like screw everything else is a shit coin. Maybe in the crypto space it is, but not when it comes to diversified investments. It's one of my talking points today. So I thought JM would make a good sponsor for the show. Let me tell you why you want to buy from JM Bullion when you're buying your gold and your silver. Number one, you want to do it because they've been a sponsor of the show for more than ten years. That means you know you can trust them. They've been around a while. I hear almost no complaints ever in a customer service thing or something. But if there is a problem, I can get right to the top guy at Jam Bullion by email. We're on a first name basis. And I've had other silver and gold houses that tried to become sponsors of the show I turned down because they didn't want that kind of relationship. I need to be able to talk to somebody who can fix shit when it goes wrong or you don't get to be a sponsor. All their orders ship free and they have better pricing than Monix, Atmex, and Lear Capital. So I don't know why the, the question isn't why would you buy from them? It's why would you, why would you buy from anybody else? I guess if you're buying local, I understand that. But if you're going to buy online, it really makes sense for you to just deal with one of our sponsors. You know, you can trust next up today on that vein, start nine. How you like to run Bitcoiners? You want to run your own Bitcoin node? 
if you can install an app on a cell phone, you can run your own Bitcoin node with Start9. Now, you're going to have to learn about balancing liquidity if you're going to run a Lightning node and have it work, but you can install your Lightning node with a click on a Start9. You can take control of all your uh, files, all your photos, all the things that you keep in the cloud, you use like a Google Drive or something for, Amazon services or whatever. That's all somebody else's computer. There is no cloud. How about all your messaging? Do you know that your messaging app is secure because they told you it was? Do you trust them? I don't trust anybody. It's not that I don't trust Apple or Google. It's I don't trust any third party. Don't trust Verify. If you have your own Start9 embassy, you can create your own chat groups that are end-to-end encrypted. And the person in your family doesn't know how to do all this. They don't. It doesn't matter. They just install an app like always, create an account for themselves, and then you can have messaging with your grandma that's end-to-end encrypted. Why would you do that? Is there anything you're telling your grandma you don't want the government to know? Probably not. But I just don't think it's anybody's business, and they don't need to be looking at it. This is military-grade encryption. The Start9 Marketplace has a ton of cool stuff like that. You can take back your 100% digital sovereignty onto yourself, and that's just, in my opinion, a great way to go. I'm really glad to have uh, Start9 as uh, as a partner. And I want to real quick remind you before I jump into it, because I'm about to do that. And uh, William here says, airborne, I say all the way back to you. Um, Anyway, uh, I am solo today. I also just did a podcast with Nicole, Awesome Sauce, and John Willis. And Nicole is here with us now. So I was on with them for over two hours. And I, I literally broke off in the middle of that live stream. Nicole can attest to it ran outside, unloaded an actual ton of feed. I mean, 40 bags, 50 pounds a piece, a ton of feed by myself, and then ran back in and finished it up. That means I am probably not on the top of my game using my one good eye to keep an eye on the live chat. So you know what to do. If you have a question or a talking point, please put it in all caps. If you ask me what my opinion of your favorite shitcoin is, I'm probably not even going to answer it. Today's show is about Bitcoin, not even other alt currencies. And I might even say, okay, this thing still has an itch somewhere. This is a Bitcoin show about Bitcoin today. So that's what we're going to talk about. I'm also not going to ask your questions about rabbits unless you're figuring out how to use a, I guess if you're using an ant miner to heat your rabbits in the winter, maybe we'll, maybe we'll work that in. It's got to have a Bitcoin angle. Bitcoin breakout episode today on both channels, by the way, on the Survival Podcast YouTube and on the Bitcoin breakout YouTube. All right. So let's get into this. I want to come at this today. Again, I'm coming at this trying to speak to you as a fellow prepper, homesteader, permaculturist. And I'm trying to put it in your language because I know there's this is the least popular subject that I do on my podcast. 15 years and there is no show other than a Bitcoin show, right, that gets a lower number of total downloads, less people in the live feed. And so why do you keep doing it, Jackie, say not to hate money? I keep doing it because it's freaking important. And before I start, I wanted to set the stage with something that I thought was really interesting. I have been pounding on you guys to get on Noster to have, one, yes, the freedom of speech, okay, but more to have the connections and interactions with people. It's been my good fortune to actually have dialogue with the freaking founder of Twitter who's basically abandoned Twitter, Jack Dorsey. And this is not a conversation between us. It's just something his I retweeted today. But I've had several conversations with Jack Dorsey. You're not going to have a conversation with Jack Dorsey on Twitter. 
you might on Nostra. But Jack Jack put out a note on Nostra that I thought was really interesting, and I decided to feature it at the lead into today's show because it so applies to what we're talking about. Here's what Jack said. This guy knows a few things, okay, especially about decentralization. There are only three truly censorship-resistant technologies at scale today, Tor, Bitcoin, and Nostr. All are currently niche, showing most of the world doesn't actually care about censorship. Granted, these technologies aren't yet accessible or easy to use, but they will be. I actually think the one thing Jack's got wrong here, even though I said agreed with him 100%, is he says they're not accessible or easy to use. They're all actually accessible and easy to use. They're incredibly accessible, and they are incredibly easy to use. If you'll give each one a day to learn how to do it. I think if something requires a day to learn how to use, it's pretty easy. I, I can think of a lot of things that take a hell of a lot longer than a day to learn what to do to use effectively. And I, I bet you, I bet you that Nicole here would attest that it probably took her about 30 minutes to be able to use Nostr. I said today on, on her live stream, if you can use Twitter, you can use Nostr. But I just kind of want to point that out that like what we're talking about is incredibly niche, including Bitcoin. So the biggest objection I get, other than the nonsensical objections, I'm sure we'll hit some of them today, but the one I get from people are like, well, Bitcoin is what it is, and it's a thing, and it works, and I get it. And they're not saying, the government's going to ban it, or whatever nonsense they come up with. Okay. The biggest objection is I missed the opportunity. Missed the opportunity. You know when I heard people missed the opportunity? When I said you should probably look at Bitcoin, it was $300. Then I heard it when it was $600. Then I heard it when it was $1,200. Then I heard it was $7,500. Then I heard everybody go, oh, look, it went down to 800 bucks. I would have lost my ass. Don't buy it all at once. right? And I've heard this over and over and over and over again. It is incredibly early in this game. The, it, Bitcoin is what the Internet was versus what it would become in 1991 right now. That's how early it is. There, this is an incredibly niche thing. It's an incredibly small number of people in relation to the rest of the world. While we're starting to have governments of admittedly small countries adopt Bitcoin and to carve out things, making Bitcoin recognizable as currency versus commodity. And that's that's really interesting. So coming at this, though, from a standpoint of let's start off with just the prepper mindset here. Decentralization. See, and, and boss man says Bitcoin is sketchy for me. I just want to say that when somebody says that, I don't bash them. All I'll say is you haven't learned enough then. It's a lot less sketchy in 2023 than it was in 2012 when everybody says they wish they would have bought it. And they say, if I knew, no, you wouldn't. You know, it's sketchy to spend a hundred bucks to learn. Anyway, let's, let's go on. Decentralization. So if you think about life as a prepper, the number one thing that we concern ourselves with is actually the failure of centralized services and products. Why do you store food as a prepper? Well, because I might not be able to get food. It's more, it, it, see, that's such a surface level answer. Just peel back one layer of the onion from the surface. And the answer is because I'm concerned that centralized distribution and production systems will fail to put food on the shelf at a place where I can buy it in enough quantity where everybody can get some and there could be a run on it and I won't have any food. 
I fear the failure of a centralized system. And some people say, but Jack, this is an astute person, too, a smart person. They will say, <laughs> I like that, Renegade. I'm just going to put it up just for the people in the video. Um, it, 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 people will say, you know, um, what you say, look, you could just lose your job. Okay, employment is also a centralized system. You probably don't work at a place where the only person works there because you'd be, well, you'd be an entrepreneur and you'd never get fired. So you're centralizing at least a significant number of people working for a company. And the reason that companies generally get rid of employees other than they suck and you deserve to get fired is that there's an overall downturn in the economy. Well, the economy is incredibly centralized, right? Or the Federal Reserve does something stupid and decides the economy is just going too well. And because it's, it's your fault that they kept inflating the monetary supply, so they do something stupid like jack rates up out of nowhere, destroy the housing market, and try to get people laid off. And eventually it works. Eventually it works. Or it doesn't work, and you still have runaway inflation, and eventually businesses have to start cutting costs, not because the economy's bad, but because things cost so much, they have to reduce the employee headcount to keep selling. Right? That's a failure of a centralized system. Bitcoin is decentralized, and I'm not even going to bother with anybody anymore that starts talking about mining pools. So that means it's, it's centralized because three mining pools have more than half. Mining Calling a mining pool centralization demonstrates a complete ignorance to a mining pool. I mine, okay? I'm in a pool, without, and I do not have miners in my home. I have co-located Bitcoin miners. I have complete control over what they mine and what pool they mine with. Without going to where my miners are, I can log in and I can change the pool I'm participating in. That is the opposite of centralization. Okay? There is, it is a completely decentralized, and there are miners all over the world. And you know what's more important than the miners when it comes to decentralization with Bitcoin and some of the things we talk about today? The nodes. There's a hell of a lot more nodes than there are mining rigs. And the nodes are the truth tellers. And anybody with a few bucks, can set up and run a Bitcoin node and participate in that verification. All right, we're back. Nicole Sauce is in the back room, too. If she needs to come up and tell us anything, she can do that, but she's hanging out in the green room. I told her to let everybody know I'd be right back. I don't know what's going on, but the exact same thing happened yesterday. And see, I was talking about decentralization. Well, if I had a centralized... Uh, access to the internet, meaning I had one way to get on the internet, we'd be done for a while, wouldn't we? But because I had a secondary means, uh, I am now tethered to my phone and back on. So we'll try this again. There's some real thunder going on outside. I didn't want to jack around with the routers or anything like that, but all the indicator lights, all the idiot lights say we should still be connected over there, but apparently not. So decentralization, main thing that we're concerned about. Let's roll on to our next one, resilience. Resilience is what you just wit witnessed. Maybe the black helicopters got me. Maybe it was a lightning bolt hit a transformer somewhere. I don't know. But I was talking to you guys in a live stream, and boom, down everything went. Resilience is the fact that by having another means to deal with the situation, here I am still talking to you guys, and most people didn't leave. Maybe more people will come back. So Bitcoin provides us resilience in an economic lord incident in an economic system. I can make a Bitcoin transaction to anybody anywhere in the world at any time, even if they decide that I don't need access to my bank account anymore. 
my wealth that is in Bitcoin is stored. It's stored in an infinitely secure way. The uh, this is a place where people talk. You know, when they say Bitcoin has been ha- hacked, it, it's been hacked. No, it has not. Bitcoin has never been hacked ever. Exchanges have been hacked. Okay, exchanges have been hacked, which means somebody broke into the back end of an exchange where people had their their, their currency pooled together, which is dumb. We don't teach that. We teach self custody for a reason. That's self sovereignty. We'll get to that in a bit. If I wanted, if Nicole Sauce has, let's say, 0.1 Bitcoin on a specific address, I and I want that point, I want to steal that 0.1 Bitcoin from her. What I have to do now is I have to guess, and this is a literal analogy, right? It means that it's an analogy you can take, you know, say everybody's doing something. You know, it's not really everybody. It's just a lot of people. No, this is an actual mathematical analogy that's, that's valid. It is like me trying to guess the right atom in the known universe that pairs with her public address to steal her Bitcoin. That's the ultimate security. It's incredibly resilient. Right now, we're dealing with yet another meltdown. Bitcoin crashed. Bitcoin's dying. No, Bitcoin didn't do anything. An exchange called Binance, who is a shitcoin exchange with its own special shitcoin, Binance coin, which is a total piece of shit, shit coin, has been doing things that fail what's called the Howie. Actually, they passed the Howie test. That makes them securities. That's a bad thing to pass. And been running uh, an exchange, basically allowing the exchange of unregistered uh, securities. That's what's been happening. We're getting some light flickering here and all. So we may go down and then then we're running generators. It might be a while if before I come back. Um. But it has nothing to do with Bitcoin. The, the SEC is suing them, ordered to shut down operations globally. And all you guys that didn't self-custody, Bitcoiners were right. Again, self-custody is the way. You shouldn't have your Bitcoin or even your shitcoin sitting on an exchange, especially one like Binance. But the suit doesn't even mention Bitcoin. But yet a bunch of people sold their Bitcoin and people like me bought Bitcoin yesterday. We literally celebrated the fall by buying more. That's resilience. That's another form of resilience. You have a community of people that do not care. It can go down 20%, 30%, 40%. We will hold and we will buy more. That's another form of resilience. The decentralization we already covered. Thousands and thousands of very expensive computers all over the world making sure that the TikTok next block happens. That's resilience. If you're a prepper, and you aren't immediately interested in something that offers decentralization and resilience, you have a mental block to it. You have a mental block to it. I do have a UPS, Jason, but if if everything goes down, some other things will go down, and we will not be coming uh, after that happens. Uh, so we're not completely resilient with that. I'm not as resilient as the Bitcoin network because I'm still in a central location. I only got one place. Now, we actually have some resiliency here. I, I could, you know, Nicole could come on and just talk shit about Bitcoin until I get back. It could happen. She's laughing down there right now. Um, but resilience, self-sovereign. Self-sovereignty. It, a lot of you have no money in the bank. You, you have a promise of money. 
All right. If it keeps up, if it keeps up, we're going to have to, we'll have to just call this and maybe I do it as an audio and redo the part I've done already. Um, we are definitely having some redundancy issues here. Um, and, and I'm not even sure why, but what I was saying just when I went off last time is my, my lights on my router just went out, but the lights on everything else are on. That's, that's a weird thing. I wonder if the router just crapped the bed and boss man says the stream is choppy. The reason the stream is choppy is because I'm tethered on an iPhone to a, a cell repeater. That's why the stream is choppy right now. Why it keeps going out, I don't know. We'll try just a little bit more here, and we will move on. Um, what I was saying is you don't have any money in the bank. It's not a thing. It doesn't exist. It's not real. It's a figment of your imagination. If you have money, then no one gets to tell you what you can and cannot do with it. Yeah? Now, you might say something's illegal, but if you have money and some dude down the road is selling some bud, you can go down and buy it. No one can deny your ability to spend money that you have, right? The government and or the banks can just decide you don't need the money that you have in the bank account. We don't like what you're doing with it. Here, This is a real story. So one time I was moving some money around in our bank account, you know, and, and we have some money, but it's not like I'm moving around money from Swiss bank accounts or something here. And something happened where I think what it is, is we, we maintain a couple savings accounts. And one is literally where we take the portion of each piece of revenue and we put it aside. And that's the money that the government gets for their tax payments. The quarterly prepayments you make when you run a business. It's just a simple way to manage. And I think what happened was I took a big chunk that was supposed to go to the IRS and I moved it into one savings account instead of the other savings account. And then I had to move it into a checking account to write uh, the check to the IRS. So this is all money that went to the government itself. And we got an email from our bank saying, you know, things look weird. They didn't, like, give us a, 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 a SAR report, a suspicious activity. But they literally questioned why we were moving so much money around in our accounts in their bank. If that can happen to your money, it's not your money. It's the bank's money that you lay a claim to that they promise to let you have when you want it. So if you want self-sovereignty, you want to litter silver and gold. I possess it. It's mine. I have it in my hand. I agree. The problem comes when, you know, this month I had some really badass coffee from Nicole. It was great coffee. It was medium roast. I think it would be better as a dark roast. I'm probably going to order some of it this week. So if I want to pay her with silver, what does that look like? Do I package up some coins and mail them to her? Does she, because she sells coffee at a certain price and silver's price is here versus there, and I can only fractionalize silver so far, does she send me a refund uh, in what I paid over the cost in copper? How, how does that work? Or here's an idea. I could just say, Nicole, give me a lightning invoice. Beep, done. Right? So if I want self-sovereignty with my money, but I want to be able to move it across space and time quickly with no one being able to intervene, no one being able to prevent me from doing so, then I have to have sovereignty, but I also have to have a weightless form of money. I need programmable money. And so, so I have that self-sovereignty. I can custody all of my long-term holdings on my own node with my own hardware wallet that you can't get. 
You can't get it. The government can't get it. I have sovereignty of my value, my my lifetime value that I've built up in Bitcoin. And it's just something that's not offered in any other form of money that we have. We have other than Bitcoin is probably precious metals. If we were having this discussion in 1995 and you were a gold bug or a silver bug or a gold silver bug, whatever that looks like, if you were a Peter Schiff advocate, then that would be a great argument at the time. Times change. Technologies evolve. We now have a weightless form of money that you have complete control over that no one can take from you. We have the advantages of the banking system in that I can send Nicole money. I can send Tommy money. I can send anybody money for, for payment and it can't be stopped. But I also have the value that I can hold it in a way that makes it completely defensible. So if you think about like all the superheroes, right, the most frightening superheroes are not the ones that have like the, this great, amazing power. It's the ones that are indestructible. And when you attack them, they just take your power and they absorb your power and they have the same power you do. That, that is an inherently scary individual, a person you cannot harm, but whatever you try to do to them, they absorb. That's what Bitcoin offers. So if you're a prepper and you're not interested in a shield like that, are you really a prepper? Or do you just like the idea of prepping? Sustainability. So, One of the biggest arguments that I've heard about Bitcoin is they're going to ban it. They're going to get rid of it. It won't last. It's going to go to zero or whatever. Okay, it's been so long that there are giant companies that were born about the same time Bitcoin did, and they're already bankrupt and gone. Right? And Bitcoin still keeps doing what it does. TikTok next block. It's also electrically powered. All this talk about fossil fuel use, energies, boiling oceans is nonsense. First of all, the entire global Bitcoin mining network uses less energy than the world's clothes dryers. So it's a lot of energy, but as a piece of the whole, it's not that much. So it's sustainable from if an electric car is sustainable. If the lights in your house are sustainable, then Bitcoin's sustainable. But the biggest thing that makes it sustainable is the decentralization itself. The fact that there are, again, thousands and thousands of miners and tens of thousands of node operators that make sure the network is honest and telling the truth at all times. It will just continue. It doesn't care. Binance can go under. Bitcoin might go down, but it doesn't go away. You see how that works? Everybody freaks out, and all we do is buy more, and we sell nothing. And there's a reason. And the people that feel that way are not brain dead newcomers who believe in some sort of a cult. We're people that have been doing this a long time and we've seen it before. That's why we have the wherewithal to walk through this with you. Diversification. I mentioned at the beginning of this, I'm not a person that uh, that doesn't believe in other forms of in myself and my wealth with other things. I think one of the most important investments a person can make in the world is owning a piece of property that is their own. Now I, I agree when like Michael Saylor says, like when you own like a building in Manhattan or something, it's an incredible cost of upkeep, but you need somewhere to live anyway. So I think owning a piece of real estate minimal that, that you can use to provide your own housing and your other resources, that's, that's a very important thing. 
I think that cash money, as flawed as the fiat system is, it's what we're going to use for the foreseeable future. So there should be a cash reserve, both physical cash and even in their shitty banking system, despite what I said. I believe in silver and gold. I have quite a bit of it. I recommend about 5% of your net worth in silver and or gold because it's it's a, a, a store of value that can be transferred by me taking my hand and putting it in your hand. And I can take a significant amount of value in one handful of even silver, gold, a tremendous amount of value I can hold in one piece of gold. But even a handful of silver eagles is a significant amount of value that I can use. I can go somewhere. I can exchange it for fiat if I need to. I can do a direct exchange for value with somebody else. So I believe in diversification. But what you have in Bitcoin is the single most influential monetary technology that's been developed in hundreds of years. The dollar actually goes back further than the United States of America. I don't want to get into that today, but the original dollar was a Spanish silver coin, but it was denominated as a dollar. When you read dollar in the United States Constitution, they're speaking about a Spanish pieces of eight. So the dollar is a multi-century old unit of account. The modern payments networks that we have, Visa, MasterCard, uh, the international payments networks, et cetera. Jack Mahler from Strike calls them the boomer payment networks. And the reason he calls them that isn't because they don't work. It's because they were all built by boomers in the 50s and 60s and 70s. That's outdated 50, 60-year-old technology at this point. We now have a new technology, a new monetary instrument. And if you measure it by dollars in value, the most successful thing that humans have ever built in a decade. To ignore that is a piece of diversification in your investments in your wealth. The only way I'll excuse it if you have no wealth. There are a lot of people objecting to this. They don't have any wealth. They don't have any money. They need to fix that first. Yeah, I get that. But if you have significant wealth, if you have significant income, and you're, you, you're under the illusion that you are building a protective Citadel style of investment portfolio and you're ignoring this, you're ignoring what's probably the most important piece of diversification in that. As a prepper, diversification's everything. It's everything. Why do we have things like gun adapters? So I have this stuff that they're on the website. You can get a discount if you're an MSV member. Take a 12-gauge shotgun, throw a gun adapter in there, throw a 357 Magnum round in it, and shoot a rifle round out of a shotgun. Why do we have that? Because someday I might not be able to get my hands on a 12-gauge round. That's why, right? We have to have diversification. That creates resiliency. That creates redundancy. Next up, peer-to-peer transactions. That's a nice way of saying no third party is involved. And this is where we're going to start really bringing some permaculture into this in addition to prepping. So peer-to-peer means exactly what I've described several times now. I want coffee. Nicole Sauce has coffee. She wants money because Nicole doesn't hate money. She's not dumb. She likes money. So I say how much or two bags of this coffee, and she says it's this much money. And then I go ahead and I send her money. Who else is involved in that transaction? Is Bank of America involved in that transaction? No. Is Wells Fargo? No. Does Jamie Dimon get a cut of that transaction? No. Do I need anybody's permission? Do I need anybody's permission whatsoever to make that transaction with Nicole? No. That's what peer-to-peer means. Peer-to-peer means there's me and there's you, and we have an exchange, and there's no one in the way. No one to get in the way. 
And that is a fantastic thing about Bitcoin. And this is where that starts to pull in a few things. One, on the permaculture side, this is the vision, whether he knew it or not, right? Whether he knew it or not, this is the vision that Bill Mollison had when he wrote the Permaculture Designer Manual, Chapter 14, and started talking about let's, which is a local currency. And he built out, and if you've never seen the, the, the PDM and you don't want to spend the money on it because it's like $80 or $90 to buy a copy, I get it. See if you can find someone to borrow it from and paste it and look at the diagrams. And what you'll see is every effort was made to keep capital entropy to a minimum. Entropy is where you lose across time. Order becomes disorder. Okay? And... Capital is subject to this. By, by capital, I'm speaking about monetary capital. But in our society where monetary capital goes, other capital goes with it. The person with monetary capital tends to have some social capital just because they have monetary capital. Now, some people have a tremendous social capital, not a lot of monetary capital. But in general, rich people have a lot of social capital. Do you know any poor people? With 20, 20 million followers on Twitter, like uh, Jack Dorsey or Elon Musk, no, right? So if we reduce capital entropy out of our local communities, then we reduce the flow of other capital, including experiential capital and knowledge capital. This is what you call a brain leak or a brain bleed, right? When we have these countries that go into disarray, the refugees that leave that country, they're usually the smartest, most motivated people. Now, I'm not talking about the shit they keep showing you on the news today. I'm talking about the people that come to America and become millionaires. Yeah, the the, the people that can recognize, and they're usually not the people that end up as, as early, or I'm sorry, late refugees when the crisis hits. They're usually astute individuals. They're astute individuals. And they recognize that the problem is going to go terminal before it does. And they get out early. Okay. That they leave. And so that is a form of knowledge capital leaving a local community. Well, if you hold in the financial capital, you're more likely to hold in that knowledge capital, the experiential capital, the cultural capital. We were talking on the live stream we did with Nicole and John today about how these little towns, everybody leaves, all the kids leave, all the families split up, people are all over the place. That's because of entropy of capital. And so if we can get our communities exchanging value within themselves and only going outside of their community for things they have to import, then we end up with a much more resilient community. That's why let's were conceived of by Bill. And then in all the diagrams you'll see in that chapter, you'll see outside stuff. It's the last thing. And the, the weakness in that system is a brilliant system using the technology of the time. Bill recognized we can't do it with gold and silver. It's not you can't fractionalize it enough. People don't take it. People hoard it, whatever. It wasn't easily exchangeable, and if you wanted to do the real vision of Chapter 14, which is, okay, so we have our own little local community. We're worried about not leaking capital, but we need things that grow over here, or we need things that are produced over here. We need trade outside of our system. The, the, the vision was 
that you find nodes like yourself and you trade with them first. And only when you can't get it locally do you go to a non-local. But when you go non-local, you go to people that share your values first. And then and only then do you go to the outside. Then you go to the Walmarts of the world. Well, the problem doing that with a local currency is since you're just spinning it up locally, it does not convert into other currencies. And I can't take my group that's in Florida exchange with my group that's in Texas with something that's non-fungible into something like the U.S. dollar. But with Bitcoin, I can. So I can now stack the peer-to-peer transaction with local currency by simply abstaining from the state's currency. Now, if you're a prepper instead of a permaculturist, you're not both. You should be, but if you're not both, you think of something like John Bush's freedom cells, without something like Bitcoin, it doesn't work. It all falls apart. This idea that we'll build these local groups and then the local groups will trade up, it, it only works with a programmable, weightless form of money that is uncensorable. And that's what I want to go on to next. Uh, global accessibility. That's a really nice way of saying, screw you, you can't stop it. That's what that's what it means. If I want to right now do business with someone in Russia, you all know the roadblocks that are in place. Maybe you think those are good. Maybe you think they're bad. I don't know. But the reality is, is there a potential that there's some good person in Russia that I want to do business with in some way? Could there be somebody over there, let's say, I'm originally Ukrainian. My family's from Ukraine. My family's actually from the part of Ukraine that's, in, that's being contested right now. Okay? We're, that's where we're from. We are from Ukraine, but in many ways, we're really ethnically, we're actually ethnically Polish. You, I'm not getting into the history of Ukraine. Let's just say because of that, that I had a family member in Russia right now. And that family member was on really, really, really hard times. And by sending them 500 bucks, I could change their life. I could I could help them get back on track, and I want to give them $500. How hard is that to do right now? Yes, stop Bitcoin from doing that. And I don't care if it's Japan, Australia, China, some Indo island. If they have electricity, I guess, and honestly, without, if that person wants access later, as long as I have an address, I can send money there. There is no way to stop it. There is no way to shut it down. And the reality is they either never wanted to, which I think is unlikely, or they so underestimated what it would become, they waited till it was too late. The camel's nose got in the tent and everybody went, ah, that's not a real camel. And now the entire camel and a whole herd of camels are in the tent and they're building their own city of camels. That's what happened. Like it's 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 just too many places, too many places to try to squish down on it. They could do things. They could highly regulate the on and off ramps. It would hurt for a while. But again, if you've been if you've been in this space for more than ten years, like I have, then you've seen all of these things play out already. You've seen every bit of fud, every bit of scare, all of it happened, and all you've watched is tick tock, next block, and math do what math does. So it's definitely. The peer-to-peer transactionality is, and global accessibility is imperative if you want the vision of what permaculture design is. And if you want the resiliency that comes with that as a prepper, then it's imperative for that as well. Because if something can be used against you, it will. 
Okay? When you get to be enough of a problem, if there's something I can squeeze to stop you from being a problem, I will. I don't mean me personally. I'm really speaking of your government and the oligarchs. But they'll do it. So, you know, nobody thought because you went out and held up a sign in the street to protest. And this this is a protected right in Canada, by the way, which is what I'm speaking of. You held up a sign and said, I don't believe and agree with you that you could be identified and then have the government basically make a phone call to your bank and say, lock this person's account down, even if they couldn't prove you didn't spend any money or send any money to anyone. But they did it. But they did it. And then the government of Canada was really upset that the organizers, a lot of the organizers were given money in the form of Bitcoin. And they used a wallet called Nunchuck, which is a great wallet. And so the Canadian government wrote a letter to the Nunchuck people, (laughs) which is an American company, so they really don't care anyway. But they demanded access and control to the payments. And Nunchuck responded, which we, 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 we would recommend that you use Google to look up what a non-custodial wallet is and see how it works because we can't help you even if we wanted to. This is resilience. This is true diversification. This is what peer-to-peer does. This is the greatest asset that's ever been built for permaculturists and preppers, and yet they're the ones that reject it the most because it's new and different and scary. It's not going away, guys. 13 years, it's not going away. Um, actually, it's longer than that now, isn't it? It's older. I think it's older than my podcast, or right about the same age as my podcast, so 15 years. Um, next is inflation protection. This is wildly misunderstood by people, or I often believe it's literally twisted in its meaning to serve an end. So they say, well, well how can it be inflation protection? Look how volatile it is. If I would have bought Bitcoin when it was $69,000, look how far I'd be in the hole right now. How is that inflation protection? What is your time horizon? What is your time horizon? Imagine if you told somebody you were a prepper, and they said, well, how long have you been prepping? And you said, about three years. How much money did you spend? You told them how much money you spent, all the stuff you did to prep. And they said, well, don't you feel stupid? You go, what? Well, don't you feel stupid? Nothing happened. You spent all that money. You could have done something else with it. But you prepared for something that never happened. Are you thinking about the next three years when you prepare? Or are you thinking about from now till the day you die and you're responsible to help other people in the world, making sure that there's a redundancy in place across that long time horizon? I hope it's the second one, right? I hope it's the second. If you zoom out, Bitcoin's an incredible hedge against inflation. If you tuck in... At any given point, it might be a straight, almost look like a like a stable coin, right? It might be down. It might be exceedingly up. But what these cherry pickers do is they only look at the little segments that are down and say, aha, well, we have a very clear pattern in the Bitcoin pricing model, which means About a year and a half to two years from now, Bitcoin will be at another all-time high. It will be massively hyped by everybody involved. It will be the worst time to go all in, and it's when the new class of plebs will go all in. You don't have to do that. We're in a trough right now. We're still in the accumulation trough, and we're up $10,000 of Bitcoin since I called it the trough. 
and we're still in the trough. So there's plenty of opportunity right now to protect against inflation across the long time horizon, where if you leave your money in dollars, I don't care what form of dollars, then you know the devaluation, 2 to 4% a year compounded forever. How do I know that? Because it's the that's when the Federal Reserve does their job perfectly. When they don't screw it up, it's 2 to 4% forever. That's their plan. So when you say inflation hedge, it's very important that you understand all the things I just said, or you don't know what you're saying, and it's easy to confuse you. Moving on, privacy. Now, this is where the Monero people, et cetera, all freak out. Bitcoin's a surveillance coin. If you don't know how to use it, it can be. But let's just start off with the most public Bitcoin you can own. You bought it in a KYC exchange, and you sent a letter to your congressman telling him what your addresses were. It's that public. How private does it really need to be, unless you did something illegal they're going to prosecute you for with it, if it's infinitely defensible? Give it to us. No. But we want it. No. But I order you to. But no. So... When we look at privacy, we have to look at layers of privacy. And so that would be the least private form of Bitcoin. But how private is Bitcoin that you pay me for something and we don't use a payment gateway at all? It's just peer to peer. It's it's pretty private. Who am I on the other end of the transaction, even if they know who you are? Right. And if I'm using good security practices, but. The bigger thing is you can't analyze every single transaction a person makes, who it went to, what it was there for, what they bought, what they didn't buy, what they got a rebound. See, the thing is, the people that talk about it's not private enough, they do 99% of their business in fiat with credit cards in the banking system. That's not private. That's a letter from your government to your bank, and they know everything. That's what that is. Now, when they went after Coinbase with this years ago, and they said, we want all the data on every transaction and everybody you've ever done business with for these two, this period of two years. Even the court system, one Coinbase said, no, said, no, you can't do that. You have to be. So they, they defined this very specific type of transactional thing that they thought was evidence there could be fraud or tax abuse or whatever. And they eventually were able to get that information. But all the rest of that, if they could just get it without cooperation, they wouldn't have asked for cooperation. It's far more private than anything you do with a check or a credit card or a wire transfer. So there is an inherent level of privacy. And again, the biggest thing that you can keep private is your keys. So it has some privacy and we are going to go so beyond what we can do right now with privacy in the future. The weakness in the future will not be Bitcoin itself. It will be the user And if you don't understand that, well, as long as you're not like doing things like using a VPN and good security protocols, and if you're emailing your shit across a Google server requesting payment or whatever, like as long as you're doing that, it doesn't matter how private the currency itself is. But if if the user cares about privacy with what we're going to be able to do with things like Fediments and Lightning with Taproot, And and we're already there to a large degree. Right now, there's literally millions of transactions a week happening via Lightning. There are people that listen to my podcast, and every minute, they're sending me two or three or eight or ten sats. Every minute. 
So a two-hour podcast is 120 transactions from one person to one party. And they are fractional cents. There's a point where you do so much in, in so broad and so small scale that it becomes, even if you could figure it out, it's not worth figuring it out. Where the weakness is, and this is true of Monero, this is true of Pirate Chain, this is true of uh, uh, Zcash with uh, with with the uh, privacy enabled. If they come after the person, if they come after the person, it's back to what the Nazis, I can't remember the guy from the Nazis, he said, show me the man, I'll show you the crime. I remember if that was Himmler or or who, who that was. But yeah, if they come after you as an individual, then there's almost nothing they can't learn. They, 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 trust me, there are people that work for our intelligence services. They can get malware on your computer and they can find out everything you've ever done on that computer. Even if you have really good practices, they still probably can. It, it makes it a lot harder. But when you're talking about mass surveillance, this is something they're going to have to just basically throw their hands up at and say they're going to have to do a carve out for this. And there's already provisions in several proposed uh, bills that have like de minimis purchases under $600. So at the same time, they're going to say that, you know, Venmo needs to report you if you have more than $600 transaction. They're also carving out this thing. Well, it's just money if it's under 600 bucks. And so that, that'll, that'll change things. Uh, and Tom says, and this is true, malware comes pre-installed at the hardware level. Yeah. If you really want privacy, you need to be building your own machine from your own hardware that you know the source of that you assemble on your own, and it's still potentially there. But when you buy a prefabricated machine, I promise you there's something that we would refer to as malware in it. Um, next, innovation and adaptability. If you are new to Bitcoin, you don't understand what just happened in the last four years. You really don't. We live in what I call a microwave society. Well, some microwave society, I put thing in the microwave, I push the button. I only have to put 30 seconds anymore. I want a minute. I hit the button twice. The start button does 30 seconds each time I hit it. And boom, super hot piping hat apple pie comes out or whatever in my microwave. And we live in a society where we expect things like that. So when I tell you that there's now a network like Noster, that's a protocol, not a platform, that's unstoppable and uncensorable, has an integrated lightning payment network on it where today I can be on there, see something cool Tom posted and say, I'm going to give you my signature zap of 55 sats, Tom, because I like 55 because it's F10 in the Fibonacci sequence and I just like it, that I can do that. You're like, oh, okay. If you are someone that lived through the block wars and Roger Ver's bullshit with Bitcoin Cash and then the further bullshit of Craig S. Wright, who's literally just one of the most horrible humans on the planet and a liar on top of being a liar. He's a liar on top of a liar, right? And BSV and all of, if you live through all that and all the BS about you couldn't do high volume transactions, you couldn't do small transactions because of fees. If you live through that, if you live through the Mount Gox collapse, when everybody said Bitcoin was dead because Bitcoin was hacked because an exchange went down, right? If you live through all that, when you saw what happened in the last four years of things like podcasting 2.0, apps like Fountain that allowed that exchange I talked about earlier, the Noster network, right? When you saw that all happen, you're like, oh, my God. Because you didn't see just the last four years or the last six months. 
you saw it from being this little bitty baby thing into what it's become. And then you realize if we do this progression one more time, we're into the point where it becomes this giant monster that eats everything. And you realize that's kind of where we're at in this process. Does that mean it's exactly the same number of years forward? I actually doubt that. I think it's less. And I think it's less because that would encompass two more halvings where the amount of Bitcoin produced each four-year cycle gets cut in half. And it would deny things like Moore's Law and the speeding up of processors because that I'm not, when I talk about that, I'm not talking about better mining equipment. I'm talking about since we have programmable money, what you can do with it. So it is the most adaptable form of money that's ever been created. If you're a prepper, you should want things to be adaptable. You should hate unitaskers, things that can only do one thing one way. As much as I like silver, it's a unitasker, right? You could say, well, you could do medical things with it. But as a form of money, silver is very one-dimensional. I have to physically move it, or I have to trust a third party to account for it. And it's pretty much the same thing, then. I'm going to pay somebody to be my third party and trust them. I can't verify. I have to trust. I'm going to go down the bank, look in the vault, which silver is mine. It doesn't make any sense. But if we have a programmable form of money, it can adapt and do more than just be money. It can exist as a form of escrow. It can go within a smart contract. It can require something that was promised to me to be delivered before it's released. How do I do that with silver? How do I do that with silver when you're in Tokyo and I'm in Dallas? The answer is I don't. And it's not the same as sending a payment. But how do I adapt silver to be a payments network on a social media protocol? How do I adapt silver to allow value for value exchange? How do I adapt silver to allow somebody to pay for one small piece of a website instead of buying a subscription to the whole thing? The answer is I don't. How do I adapt silver to be a local currency that's fungible into a third currency so they can be exchanged with another group, even if it's direct peer-to-peer. You don't. You need something adaptable as a monetary instrument. And as a prepper, you want things to be adaptable. As a permaculturist, you want things to be adaptable. You know, I know one of the most famous people in the permaculture world is who? Seth Holter. He grew a, a lemon tree in the Alps, man. Really awesome. Nice stunt. Glad he did it. Great, great show of what can be done. But do you want to go out and plant a lemon orchard in the Alps? Probably not. It's not very adaptive. It's like the one perfect spot, perfect heat sink, everything's set up right just to prove what can be done. Great. It's not adaptable, though. Change one parameter in that, poof. Masanubo Fukuoka, one of the most cited people ever in the permaculture space, even though he never called himself a permaculturist, really. I guess he did toward the end of his life. He was he existed and was doing his thing long before Bill Molson ever uttered or David Holder uttered the word. And for as much as people talk about how amazing his system was, who's doing it now? His children inherited his property and it doesn't produce anymore. They couldn't do what their dad did. It wasn't adaptable. As badass as it was, it wasn't adaptable to others. So you need that adaptability so that it can continue. As a permaculturist, you want to grow the things that do well in your climate. You want to grow a lemon tree? Go ahead. But you should probably figure out, like I did, that, you know, Trumachino zucchini, 
grows really good in my climate and the squash bugs can eat the leaves, but it still keeps growing and the vine borers can't get in there. So I get lots of big giant squash. Yeah. You should find out the adaptable components to what you build from permaculture. You're, you're, if you build housing from scratch, it should be adaptable to the climate. It should warm itself in the winter and cool itself in the summer. That's adaptability. We're looking at an adaptable global currency that's uncensorable. Energy conservation. So permaculture principle, catch and store energy. Bitcoin is an energy intensive network. And through a process known as proof of work, you know that a given amount of energy went into the production of a given amount of Bitcoin. And you know because the energy is used to produce it and to secure it, that it's secure and it cannot be counterfeited. But this is all about conservation of energy. That's really what it's about. It's about taking energy that's expended today and storing the value from that energy across space and time. So when we look at permaculture systems, we need to be very concerned about conservation of energy. We need to think like the thinking beings we are instead of just plodding through life like some dumb animal. So if we're designing a system, a permaculture system, and we are going to take a certain path through that system every day in our natural behaviors, we want to design that pathway to have things that can be done on it that reduce the amount of energy that we expend so those things will get done and the value will come out of them in the end. That's one level of conservation of energy. But another way that we could catch and store energy is energy takes many forms. Water is energy and energy is water, right? And what I mean by that is we can, if water moves, if water moves, it can do a lot of work and do a lot of damage too. So a pond is a battery. It's energy storage. And it's energy storage in that human beings and animals need water to drink or we will die. But it's also energy storage in if we hold it high in the landscape, we can do work with it as it comes down. It can do work for us on the way down. We can fertigate water and let gravity carry it down and distribute fertigation. That's another form of conservation of energy. It's another fight against entropy. and Entropy will eventually win the battle. Our entire solar system will be nothing but a dust cloud someday and maybe be reborn as a new solar system trillion years later. Who knows? But we want to conserve energy. We want to catch and store energy. And Bitcoin is the best way to catch and store energy we've ever developed when we talk about monetary energy. And like it or not, believe it's the right thing or not, money matters. Money matters. And we have just an overall survival need for energy. We need energy. If you don't feed somebody long enough, they get sick and eventually they die. So we need to not only conserve energy, we need to be able to channel and use energy. And we need to be able to, to exchange energy for other things that are produced through energy. Right. So when I buy coffee from Nicole and I use Bitcoin, I've taken a store of energy, all the electricity, all the proof of work that went into extracting that Bitcoin as a block reward and securing it into the network and saying, we know that this 50 bucks Jack's about to send Nicole is real. It's legitimate. It hasn't been copied and pasted. It hasn't been hacked. It's, it's there. Right. But the other side of the transaction is energy as well. So Nicole is going to buy those beans. She doesn't grow beans in Tennessee. Somebody let's say in Guatemala, there was a, a lot of energy that went into the production of those beans. 
And then they had to be dried as a green bean and put in a bag. That took energy. Then they had to get on a ship or a plane and come through a port like New Orleans or Houston or wherever, but eventually get on a truck, more energy, and go to Nicole. And then then Nicole doesn't just go, I have the beans. I command that they be roasted, right? That's not how it works. She has a roaster. What does it use? Heat, energy. And then I want the beans a certain way. So there's a certain amount of energy that goes to make the beans that way. Then they're done being roasted. Well, now they have to be packaged. And then they have to get on a truck or a plane and they have to come to me down here. So we're literally doing an energy exchange. Everything we build in permaculture is based on the concept of energy and the control of energy and the flow of energy. We we build a house and we make it heat itself and cool itself with, with these building practices. Some of them modern, some of them ancient. It's all about energy. Last, and this is the most important piece today, securing other data. And once you understand this, and this is where I'm going to talk about Jason Lowry and software. Once you see Bitcoin through this lens, then then the thing that I've said could happen for 10 years and the thing that I have said has said have said has happened for the last three. Bitcoin eating everything makes complete sense. And when people say there is no place for number two, it makes sense. Because in the beginning, I had a hard time. How could there only be one? How could there not be a case for Litecoin? How could there not be a case for a true privacy currency, right? How could there not be a case for this thing that makes NFTs? Well, the fact that Bitcoin pretty much can do all those things now, that that does it. But when I look at it from a security standpoint, and the fact that we can actually, because there's a really stupid thing, and if you haven't paid attention in Bitcoin, there's this thing called ordinals, and people are doing like monkey pictures inscribed in a Satoshi or some shit, and, and you look at that and you go, that is so stupid. Well, just because somebody does something with a thing that's stupid doesn't mean the thing itself is stupid. So a rubber band. Is a rubber band useful? Yes. Is it stupid? No. Would, if you're a guy, dropping your drawers, taking the rubber band, holding it up against your sack, pulling it way out and slapping your balls with it, would that be stupid? Yes, it would. It doesn't make the rubber band stupid. So just because somebody... Just because somebody did something dumb with a thing doesn't make the thing itself stupid. So just because making an inscription of a, of a stupid monkey is dumb doesn't mean the idea of inscribing data secured within the Bitcoin network is dumb. Make sense? So what might I want to secure? How about a title? I want to secure a title for real estate holdings. I want to secure information that goes to my descendants when I die in the form of a will. I want to secure the title for a car. I want to secure a contract. I want to secure data in a way that the data is encrypted, but accessible from anywhere in the world. Any of those things. Now, just for a minute, those of you that are still advocating the shit coins and all, I want you to open your mind, take your belief system, take it out of your pocket, put it on the shelf. You can have it back as soon as we're done. Okay. It won't hurt. Promise. Just think of it as a security mechanism. That's all I want you to do right now. Think of it as a mechanism of securing data. You now have something you want to secure. Do you want the best security you can get? Do you want okay security? Do you want pretty good security? Do you want the second best security you can get? Do you want shitty security? 
Do you want security that one person can turn off or do you want security that nobody can turn off? Well, obviously, you want the best security that you can get that nobody can turn off. You want number one. If you have a choice, you don't want number two in security. You want number one. You want the most security you can get. What is the only reason we all don't have the best security we can get of our house? You know, like secret service level agents and not even interfering with our lives the way they do with the president. Just like you never even see them. You never know they're there. They're on your payroll. They never spy on you. If anybody fucks with you, they're dead. Why don't we all have that level of security like billionaires probably have? Why don't we have it? There's only one reason we tend to not have it. It's expensive. We either can't get it or can't afford to get it. Okay. when people say a Bitcoin transaction is expensive, when you measure it against the actual transaction that's worth using the security, it's not. It is cheap. And if you could have the best security around your property possible for 10 bucks, one time payment, or you could have shitty, shitty security for a dollar. You wouldn't even consider the alternative. You're like, this is stupid. Bring me the special forces, secret service dudes, 10 bucks once. And it's forever until I die or until I, you know, send it, send that security deal to somebody else. I want the best security I can get. Okay. If you read software by Jason Lowry, again, he's a major and I think he's a major in the army. He has this thesis out. This book is really an engineering thesis. I was kind of irritated that I couldn't get it in Kindle. I like to read in bed. It's dark. I don't have to turn a light on for my wife. But it's in a book because of all the tables, the charts, and everything, because it's an engineering thesis. And you understand what he's saying. He's saying that basically there is a new field for battle. There's a new space for warfare. Warfare up till now has been land, sea, and air, and you could just take air as an extension out into space. Land, sea, and air. And anything you can think of where there is conflict has been one of those domains. If you want to add space as the fourth one, go ahead. I don't care, right? Doesn't matter. And we have a very specific way that we engage in warfare in those domains. And that is we use force, and the person with more force, better executed, that destroys the enemy to the point where the enemy yields wins. And we're so arrogant. We think we invented it. But every living organism practices warfare. Anywhere there's a resource shortage or perceived shortage of resources, life fights for those resources. If you look under a microscope, you will literally watch warfare. You don't believe that, that insects have warfare? Put your hand in a fire ant mound and watch what happens because you've invaded their space. You've committed a land invasion and they have a specific way that they deal with your invasive force with their own in, their own repulsive force. Right. This probably makes sense to everybody. Listen, that warfare is a constant in life and we have these domains, land, sea, air, space. Right. We have a new space. Cyberspace. Information is one of the most valuable things that there is on the planet today. When I was in corporate sales, I worked for a company called Fluke Networks and I had customers. It was all computer test equipment. This is not the Fluke electrical volt ohm meter stuff. That's not that. This is Fluke Networks. This is high end network test equipment. 
things that would analyze a network or analyze its infrastructure. So I had very high end clients and the stuff that you're you're selling them gear for is their networks. I had the northeastern United States. I had Virginia to Maine and over to Ohio. And so I had clients like Johnson and Johnson. Johnson and Johnson, pharmaceutical company. I also had the FBI as a client. I went through less security going into an FBI data center. I'm not saying no security. I'm not saying it wasn't stringent. I went through less security to go into an FBI data center. This was about 2001, 2002. than I did to get into the Johnson and Johnson data center in, in New Jersey. I mean, this is pre nine 11 and shit, right? You know, like, so I guess it was pre nine 11. It was 2000, right? Yeah. Or early 2001. I can't remember what year that was now. Lots of brain cells dead between now and then. Anyways, before 9-11, I do remember that. I, I mean, it was like going through airport security on steroids after 9-11. You know, you're wanted. They take your cell phone from you. You know, you went through like this, this thing where you got scanned. And when you walk in, even if you had your phone, the only thing you would have been able to do, and not, they didn't take really good pictures back then, but they take pictures because basically any wireless device was disabled by scramblers. Why? Because what's the patent on a new drug worth? And what's the data that allows that patent when that patent doesn't exist yet worth? What is your customer database worth? This is the new field of battle, is information. And Bitcoin allows the encryption and security of data. And it is a, a, a weapon. It's a weapon. And money's a weapon in of itself. And if somebody controls the money, they can use it as a weapon against you anytime they want to. And if you think about it in the prepper space, it's one of the biggest things that concerns us that they will self-destruct the economy they've created or they will switch it off or they'll go to a CBDC and tell us what we can spend it on. And we should be concerned about the fact that they've been stealing from us blatantly in the open since 1913 under the fractional reserve system and organized inflation. It's theft. It's the theft of a minimum. They say two to four percent. It is a in the best of times. It is a theft of four percent of your wealth annually compounded across time forever. It's theft. So you need a weapon to fight back with. And what you have in Bitcoin is the rules are set. There'll never be any more, and the emission schedule is set. There's no way to overinflate it. And then it's inherently secure at the same time. And you, I, I just don't think you can afford to ignore it. But think of it this way. It's a shield that if the enemy attacks, the harder they attack, the more it hurts. What, what's been done with Bitcoin? And this is incredibly brilliant. And I have to credit Jason for this again. What has happened is a, a, a literal citadel has been built around data. And all money is, is data. It's a, it's a, it's a data packet. I sent this to so-and-so. It's a ledger. It's a ledger of accounting. And yet, if you attack it, it only hurts you as much as you let it hurt because we've imposed 
a physical cost on the virtual world. All those computers that, that they lament that they're destroying polar bear habitat or something. It's, again, it's all bullshit, but they're beautiful in what they do because it takes so much energy to secure that network. It takes an equal amount of energy to attack it. And it's an incredible expenditure. There's a lot of people that do it for money and long term, it doesn't work out if they're not really smart about how they participate in mining. Right. So it's it is a cost. It is hard to do when you're participating. It's even more costly when you're adversarial to it. Where if you had a lot of computing power available, the best thing you could do for yourself would be participate versus be an adversary. Imagine putting a force field around your home that doesn't hurt anybody. People can walk by it to get a little warning buzz or something so they don't accidentally walk into it. If they walk into it softly, it's kind of like when you were a kid and you're in school and you wanted to mess with your buddy. So you, you, you leaned over the desk and you thumped him in the ear. It hurts, but it's no big deal. But if they really try to get in, it will annihilate them. Now, you can't put that around your homestead. You can't put it around your car. You can't put it around your building. You can't put it around your computer. But you can put it around your wealth stored in the form of energy. So you have this one place where it is untenable for the enemy to attack. You're a prepper and you don't want that? Really? See, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me how much resistance there is. And that's why I came at this today from the angle of as a prepper. You've got something that's decentralized and resilient. You've got something that allows self-sovereignty that is infinitely sustainable. And people say, well, is it really infinitely sustainable? Will we ever run out of energy or whatever? Maybe. It's infinitely sustainable because you'll die before it does. That's the way I look at it. If something's going to outlast me, then it's, it's my great-grandchildren's problem to figure out how to keep it going. Right? I, th that's enough. Thinking out four generations, I try to think seven. But when it comes to, like, I, I think of it kind of like our founders. They gave us, for the time, a really great system of government that we totally screwed up. It had flaws, but it actually was designed so that it could be improved over time, and instead we screwed it up. But they gave us a great starting point. I can't fault them for their flaws. So it is sustainable for as long as it needs to be for you and your kids, and I would say your grandkids. At least it's, it allows you to diversify. It allows you to have individual peer-to-peer -peer transactions with parties of your choice with no third-party interference at, at, at all. It's accessible to anybody in the world. Anybody can not just own Bitcoin, receive Bitcoin and send Bitcoin. Anybody in the world can participate in the network as a node runner. Um, it protects you against inflation. It allows you far more privacy than anything in the fiat system ever will. It is innovative and adaptable as new things come. Think about what it is compared to what it was in the beginning, in the beginning, it was a thing that nerds mined on laptops for real. That's what it was. It was something that somebody had to give 10,000 units of to another person who paid for two pizzas. That's why we have Bitcoin pizza day that happened just a couple days ago. Right. That's what it started out as some code in a forum by an anonymous guy. Today, it enables value for value exchange from podcasters and listeners. It is held by major institutions. 
It is a recognized currency alongside the dollar in a nation of El Salvador. It is liberating uh, people in Africa. It is being used by refugees to take their monetary wealth when they leave their country and they're fleeced and shaken down because all it is is 12 words. It is at the core of an uncensorable network protocol in Noster, allowing instant payments, penny for your thoughts actually happening, right? And it's only getting started. The adaptability of that, the innovation, what we literally have now is a form of, of monetary exchange that can go into any app, any protocol, anything electronic, anything that's communicative. I, I'm not a fan of Bitcoin Cash, but if this was done with Bitcoin Cash, it could be done with Bitcoin. Vin Armani, great dude, really enjoyed a lot of my conversations with him in the past. Back when Bitcoin Cash came out, he came out with a product called Cointext, and you could literally send Bitcoin Cash with no wallet using text messaging. It failed, I think, mainly because Bitcoin Cash failed. Some people can't admit that, but it did. But think about it. So if you could send a text message, you could transfer wealth. Pretty cool. Yeah, I don't care about your XRP. I really don't. It's a shit coin of shit coins. And it's also the, the coin of cho choice of the World Economic Forum. So that's what you're supporting there, Michael. Anyway, um, conserves energy and fulfills our need for energy and the ability to catch and store energy. And it can be used as a security apparatus. And again, when you understand it as security, purely as security, then there is no number two. And again, um, I mentioned Jason Lowry K. Bonk says he's actually Space Force, MIT, PhD. Really smart dude. Really worth reading the book. Really worth learning. About. If you have security and you can afford it and you can have the best security, you'll never take anything secondary. And this is... This is that innovation and adaptability that hasn't even revealed itself yet. This is the fact that, in, you know, in the words of Jack Dorsey, scaled, uncensorable things that are out there right now are Tor, Noster, and Bitcoin. And they're still incredibly niche. The innovation is only yet to come. You're early. Don't pretend you're not. Don't make excuses. Get involved. Do... Uh, yeah, I froze when I mentioned Dorsey. That's pretty funny. Anyway, guys, I need to wrap up because I do not trust this uh, duct, tape, duct tape internet to keep going for much longer. I really appreciate you guys tuning in today. I hope you uh, learned a lot. I'm sorry about the technical issues. I don't know why the light was out on my router. Like the power light was gone and now it's back on. I'll check into that and see if we can have a little bit more stability going forward. Uh, again, I thank you for being with me today. Uh, I do have a couple things start. I probably missed some. Uh, K-Bong said, is there a fee to transact with Nicole with all these transactions I was talking about? You know there is, of course. And of course there is. There's a fee. That's why it works. That provides for the security. The thing is, we have many ways to do this. So if I bought $50 worth of coffee from Nicole this week, and I probably will, I'd probably pay off-chain using the Lightning Network, which we're not going to get into today. But that's, that's that innovation and adaptability. And uh, Prep to Adventure says, do you think we will ever see Bitcoin become a primary currency, as in most people will look at 1,000 sats equals X fiat instead of the other way around? Uh, yes. Now, how long is that path? I don't know. This is what I know as a student of history. When a better form of money comes along, eventually it's mass adopted. And there, this is the thing that people don't get. We don't need the United States of America's government to concede for it to happen. I didn't ask anybody's permission. 
to use Bitcoin. I didn't write a letter to my congressman and say, dear Mr. Congressman, please pass a law that says it's okay for me and others to own Bitcoin. I just did it. I did it in a completely uncensorable, unstoppable way. I downloaded software. And I said, here's the thing of value. Does anybody that have Bitcoin want it? And they sent it to me. I didn't have to buy it. I mean, I do buy it. I don't have to. There, so you have this, all the wonderful things I just told you about Bitcoin. That literally, anybody that says they can't figure it out, you're full of shit. If you have an IQ over 83, and I don't think there's anybody that listens to this show that doesn't, though sometimes that theory is tested, flat earth people and whatnot, right? right? But honestly, a lot of those people are smart. They've just been made stupid. They've been made stupid. They've been sent off into some level of mental illness. If you have an IQ over 83, you can use Bitcoin. If you have a phone and you use apps on it, how'd that happen? If you, if you do all that, you can use Bitcoin. I'm sorry, you can. You don't need anybody's permission. If you have anything of value to any other people on the planet, you can sell it for Bitcoin today. If you can text somebody a string of numbers and say, you owe me this much, send it here, you can use Bitcoin. So we don't need permission, right? We don't need someone to say it's okay. We don't need the United States government to officially adopt it. We don't need the G7 to have a Bitcoin committee and then decide it's okay. We don't need any of that. No one needs any permission. And so the only thing that happens with Bitcoin across time is more people use it. That's it. That, that's all that's happened since the beginning. And you're going to find that there are people that listen to some huckster and they go out and they buy a bunch of something and they freak out and they run away. The vast majority of people that once they enter the space, they never leave. They ride through one of the storms. There's a great community around it. People like us that we've done this before. Don't worry. It's going to be okay. You know, it's like when you're you're on a roller coaster with a person that's afraid of roller coasters and you come up over that first crest and you're going to go careening down. You know, you're going to come back up the other side and end up okay in the end, right? And you know, up comes after down. So what do you do? You reach over and you grab their hand. You go, it's, it's, it's all right. I'll hold your hand like a little kid. We'll ride this sucker down together. And every time, so we talk about Bitcoin being mined. Right. And I don't know if that's the best term, but Bitcoin holders or hodlers, I think they're 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 minted in the crucible of fire. That is the Bitcoin cycle of volatility. The person that rides through it once when they come out the other end of it and they and, and they especially if they double down and they buy all the way through it when they come out the other end, there is nothing. There is nothing you can say that will make them turn away. Not because it's a cult, not because it's a religion, because they saw it work. They were part of it. And so mass adoption just comes from a cumulative effect. So and I don't think people really understand, like, the total amount of this that's happened in the last 10, 15 years, whatever it is. How many people have been minted as Bitcoin maximalists that aren't going anywhere, that don't even care? We don't even look at the price. Or if the price does go down and we're on social media, so it says Bitcoin crashed today, we're like, whoa. And then you go look at the price and it went down 3%. You're like, what are you people talking about? What do you mean crash? I was all excited. 
I was ready. I was ready to break out some some of my dry powder and buy a bunch of this shit. This is normal. This is typical. This is DCA stuff. This isn't even modified DCA, let alone that you know thousand bucks I, I have tucked away that I'm waiting for this to happen. Three percent crash. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? So when something does happen, like you know a Mount Gox back in the day, and back then I did I wasn't there yet. That was like one of my first rides. That was one of my first. Ah, we're all gonna die. It's awful. Can't believe I'm losing all this money. Uh, wait, you don't need it. Don't worry about it. Wait, see what happens. You come back up the other side of that. And so that is something that's just going to continue to accumulate. And if you look right now, the vast majority of Bitcoin hasn't moved in years. The vast majority hasn't gone anywhere. It sat exactly where it is. And even a lot of times it'll move. It didn't really move. You just think it moves. So somebody who was holding on an exchange finally reads a Jack Spirico article and goes, yeah, he's right, I'm stupid, I need self-custody, so Bitcoin moved. But all it did was move off the exchange. For all of the selling that went on with the hysteria with Binance, you know what actually happened? 10,000 Bitcoin in the first day after the SEC filed with it. Wasn't sold, it left it left. People were like, oh, shit, get your Bitcoin off the exchange. Oh, yeah, maybe we should have done that. 10,000 Bitcoin came off Binance. Didn't get sold. People didn't panic. They just realized, I better take this into my own control. Or somebody gets a hardware wallet. They had it on a software wallet. They combined it into, you know, instead of 50 UTXOs, they put it on 10. So they move their own money. Like some of the movements that, and it's still the majority of Bitcoin hasn't gone anywhere in two years. Hasn't moved. They're going to during a bear market. The best is yet to come. I hope this makes sense. I hope it's a new way of looking at it. Thank you for being with me today. I will catch you guys tomorrow with another episode of a great interview. Real quick, want to remind you guys that if you like the show and the work that I do, one of the ways that you can support us is to do your online shopping starting where? tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. We talked a lot about energy today. This is a very energy efficient little tool here. This is a 1.5 quart Current mini slow cooker. This is my favorite little gadget in my kitchen, honestly, other than sous vide. I use this thing a couple times, three, a couple, three times a week. I usually make some version of soup with it. I use it to get rid of all the leftovers in the house. But Jack, why a little bitty one? Because nobody else eats it. And so if I threw all the leftovers in a giant crock pot, I would make leftovers 2.0. I make enough for myself. Yesterday I made, I had some chicken from the grill. I threw a couple chicken thighs in there, covered it with some bone stock, added some seasoning, garlic, thyme, stuff like that, some chili powder. And I dumped in a, a, a single size cup of avocado mash that I get from Costco. Because that makes, it makes a really luxurious bat, uh, broth. Threw a little citrus squeeze in it, tossed a uh, quarter of, a, uh, of a, a lemon in with it, mixed it up, put it on low, and walked away from it. Got done with the show, went out to the garden. Got a little handful of green beans, a little handful of arugula, a little handful of Swiss chard, a little handful of Chinese white celery. Threw some mouse melons in there just to see. They're actually pretty good cooked. I was kind of surprised at how they go. A few other things, just a little hand, couple of little handfuls, fresh basil and uh, uh, some uh, a jalapeno. Came back in, chopped everything up except the pepper, set that aside, threw it in, did my editing. By the time I was doing, done with my editing, the beans and all that stuff were cooked through. Went back out there, put it in a bowl, went in my, went in my refrigerator, got out, 
get this sauerkraut, real sauerkraut, fermented sauerkraut. Put a couple pinches of sauerkraut in the center, let it be cool in the hot broth. Then threw some Parmesan cheese on it. Then diced up that jalapeno, put that on there. And then just to gild the lily, threw on a handful of comfrey flowers, which are delicious, by the way. That was my lunch yesterday. It took me less time to do it than it did for me to tell you about it. And I'm telling you, it's uh, <laughs> we'll give you a little pimp there, Renegade. You can even buy seasoning from a for a Bitcoin from some butcher. Yeah, Renegade Butcher, who does an MSB discount for us. You can get uh, seasoning for Bitcoin from him. Anyway, um, that's why I like this thing, because I took leftovers and I turned it into something elevated with very little work. Um, if I still worked in an office, this would be something I'd take to work with me. You know, you could leave the, 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 the electronic part and just take the crock back and forth and have, you know, fresh, delicious lunch every day. It's only about 25 bucks for the thing. There's cheaper ones. I even have one in the, in the PS on it. If you want a cheaper one, this is like a life, lifetime, uh, purchase though. It is, I went out to find the best thing I could. You know what I always say about money? Buy the best you can afford. And then under a certain price, just buy the best. Like we talked about with Bitcoin security day, once security is a certain level of cheap, you just buy the best. You're talking about something that's under 30 bucks, just right out of the gate, buy the best instead of the best you can afford because you can afford it all. Anyway, with that, I hope you enjoyed today's show. I will catch you guys tomorrow with another one. Take care. I've been Jackson Spirico with another episode of The Survival. Are they going to bail you out to just run you around? They said you should have a house. The American way. A dollar down, a dollar.